As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back, everybody. It's Arthur Staple. You're listening to No Sleep Till Belmont, the Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Joined, as always, by AJ Maletsko, who was a... Very, very busy broadcaster last week. AJ, how you doing? I'm good and uh, ready to get back at it tonight. But yeah, lots of lots of stuff going on. Exciting Hockey Day in America on Sunday for hockey fans around all over the place. Um, but good to be back. Yeah, and you, uh, you were not on either of the Islander-Buffalo weekend games, which probably was for the best given the overall quality of the, of the, of the game that we <laughs> saw, mostly from the visitors. Um, but you definitely did see kind of the highlight of the weekend and really the highlight of the hockey weekend and maybe even the sports weekend, uh, which was Matthew Barzell's goal to get the Islanders on the board in the second period on Saturday. And um, I thought we could devote a little time to talking about that goal and what you thought of it and just what we think of what's going on with Matthew Barzell this year, which I think is not necessarily flying a little bit under the radar, but uh, but he's he's been pretty special and it's not just because he put on an incredible show with that goal. Well, l- let me start with the goal. It was awesome. I mean, how fun is that? That is just, as a fan, it's seeing the, a skill like that on display. This Everybody knows about Matt Barzell's speed, but for him to be able to execute a play like that back between his legs and finish it at the speed that he's moving his feet and his mind and his hands, it all has to work, right? And, um, and I do think it's, when you look at something like that, what strikes me is that that's instinctual to a player like that, right? He's not planning that. I mean, I'm sure he's done it before messing around in practice, but in a game, he's not coming down the wing thinking, I really want to get it between the legs goal <laughs> today, right? It just comes to him. It happens and he scores. Um, and I just, I, I was, I was, I was impressed. It was a big goal too, as you said, just because it got the scoring going and, and it had the zeros after the first period. Um, so it was, you know, that skill to me, talk about exciting hockey. Yeah, and we've certainly heard the the common refrain about the Islanders that that it's not that exciting to watch them play. But he's kind of been appointment level viewing it a lot of times this already this season. You know, I think it started opening night when he made that kind of inside out move and snapped one uh, home, kind of made Tony D'Angelo look foolish, which was sort of the beginning of the end of for Tony D'Angelo. Uh, you know, he kind of took a penalty later in that game, ended up getting sat out by the Rangers, put on waivers, still waiting. Um, 
And it kind of all started in that first period of that first game at the Garden. And he had one that was even better than that uh, against the Penguins a couple weeks ago where he kind of did another inside-out move on Pierre-Olivier Joseph and and then went top shelf on the Penguins goalie in the third period to give the Islanders a lead. And that one kind of stood out as like, oh, my gosh, like this guy is – he's not just being creative, but it's in an attacking way. You know, I think we're used to seeing Matthew Barzell use his creativity to, to make a great pass or – that kind of vision that he's had or, or circle the zone and, and hold off a defender. Um, but I think we're seeing less and less of that this year, and we're seeing more of this, which I think is what Barry Trotz wants to see is more of this. Well, you know, I think that you're absolutely right. We're seeing an, an, a step in the evolution of Matthew Barzell. He comes into the league. He wins the Calder. Uh, the pressure's off of him. Tavares is here as the name and the face of the franchise, right? And then he sort of takes over that role and Barry Trotz comes in, there's all these different sort of changes that go go on. And he's still a young kid that's new to the league, but now everybody knows about his skill. And I, that's what I think has been interesting over the last two years is just to see how Barry Trotz has handled that. Meaning he knows he has a kid with a, a tremendous amount of skill and so much upside and potential that's through the roof. But what is he missing from his game, right? And all of those subtle details that Barry Trotz is known to focus on, that's what he's brought to his game. And it's its sort of given a little bit of maturity, a little richness to his game. It's not just the inside-out moves that you're talking about. It's not the these between-the-legs move. It's that he's staying on in practice and working on face-offs. And, he's working, and J.G. Pajot has helped him a lot, and he says that. He's been helping him with that. It's... Back checking. It's, you know, playing in the in the right way, as Barry Trotz always says. And, you know, what does that mean? It means a million different things. Um, but what I think, to your point, this season specifically, he's trusting his teammates more. He's trusting his line mates more, meaning that he's giving them the puck and then he's bust into the net, right? Give and goes are, are becoming a, a more popular part of his game. And instead of picking up the puck in the D zone and trying to beat five guys, he'll dish the puck. And then he'll skate and then he get the puck back and he only has to be two guys. And all of those sort of uh, maturations, I think, in the way he's played and his belief. And he's, he's sort of bought into Barry Trotz in this system, which is a huge credit to a guy like Matt Barzell. So I, I just think that, you know, you mentioned what he's been doing this year and it is sort of subtle. It's funny to talk about him in subtleties at all because of these highlight real goals, right? He's dynamic. Your eyes are drawn to number 13 on the ice. He moves east-west. He moves north-south. He's all over the place. But it is those little tweaks that he's made to his game that I think is bringing him to an entirely new level. And I think the benefits to his line mates, I think people have always kind of said like, well, they need to put a sniper next to Matthew Barzell, just a pure scorer, con- you know, no conscience shooter, kind of like what Oliver Wallstrom, the Islanders hope he'll be. But when you have a guy who's this much of a threat to score now looking to shoot, you know, the numbers, the goal numbers are up for his line mates. Anders Lee is all the way up to 12. And really, you know, we've mentioned him before, but he's been as steady as can be. Jordan Eberle's at nine, even though he hasn't gotten them all alongside Barzell. But if they're all on pace for 20 goals in a shortened season, uh, then the the attacking version of Matthew Barzell clearly benefits everybody. Yeah, and and you know it's interesting because somebody like Anders Lee, you also talk in subtleties. Somebody like him, he's a little bit like a bull in a china shop. He's just so strong and he's really hard to move off the puck. So funny to say he's subtle too, but what he brings to that line is subtle, right? He's he's in front of the net. He's working along the boards. He's doing sort of all these 
these um, these strength things, which does create a little room for Matt Barzell, and he goes to the net. Um, and I think that obviously Everly's got a score. He's got a beautiful finishing touch. So they do seem to work off each other. I mean, for Jordan Everly though, he bumped down uh, when Bovillia was injured. And he he and Bailey switched spots, and his scoring didn't let up at all either. So he's he's pretty versatile on that in that top six, and he can score no matter what. But the, playing with those two guys, what I think has what for Barzell playing with those two wingers you know Barry Trotz has said as you mentioned he goes to the net this this net drive that he has that was the last two years I remember in our pregame and postgame shows we would always talk about whether Matt Barzell was engaged inside the dots that was always sort of a a way that we looked at it and the games that he was flying out there and making differences he was battling to get that inside position. And he was going to those, as Butch calls the dirty areas, right? He was do he was going that way. I, we don't even talk about that anymore because he does that consistently. Every game we see him doing that. And that to me is one of the biggest changes too. And I think some of that is you've got Anders Lee as a captain of this team, dragging him into this fight. He's dragging the whole team into the fight. But when Anders Lee is willing to take the beating that he does in those hard areas, then Matt Barzell is able to go in there and say, okay, I can do this with you too. And and, and Matt Barzell is so strong on his skates. He can take a beating and, and keep going. Yeah, I think that was, to me, the most, you know, kind of the, not a forgotten part, but an underrated part of that goal is, you know, and, and Rasmus Ristolainen, I feel terrible for the guy. He's, you know, he's a 22 to 25 minute a night guy. He's been that way for a long time on a very bad team in Buffalo. He's strong as an ox, and I'm sure his strength has taken a hit because he had a very bad COVID bout that kept him out, I think, a little bit longer than everybody else on the team. And then they throw him back in, and they've got a bunch of injured Ds, so they're just trying to get him right back out there playing those minutes. But he's, he's a guy who's got about 4 inches and 30 to 35 pounds on Barzell, and Barzell gets low, and basically this guy you know rolls off him like they're doing a stunt scene in a Western <laughs> fight, and then Barzell's by himself with, with Ristolainen in the corner. It was, it was a... Uh, it was a pretty ridiculous move even to just get into position to make the other ridiculous play. So it was, um, and you know, we were, I know I wrote a little bit of a, a piece about it, kind of breaking down some of the goals and talking about it. I, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of Islander goals now in my, in my time covering the team and looking back at old footage from the dynasty era. And there certainly were more important goals in Islander history, Tonelli to um, various other goals during the dynasty era. But for, for just pure pizzazz and coolness, I don't think there's one that can beat this. No, I, I think I think you're right, and and you're also right that it wasn't just the between the legs finish, right? It was how he got there, and uh, the whole thing was pretty exciting. And and I, I would I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that that's going to be the goal of the year. And, and uh, it, it's um, it's hard to imagine anything better. And I did love for anybody who's on social media the overhead still shot that Matt Barzell posted to his Instagram. And uh, I think he said, does this even need a caption or something like whatever it was, but it's a really cool shot because the puck's in the net, but his stick is still between his legs and it just shows the just absurdity of it and that he can, he can do that sort of stuff. So I, I agree with you. I think that that is if for, you're talking to, he scored a goal, big goal of the game too. This isn't, you know, just sort of a, a goal that doesn't matter. And it was effort, entertainment value. You can't get much better. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. 
See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So we kind of left out or glossed over the part where the Islanders are on this great 7-0-1 streak. The last three were against a team, Sabres, that's in pretty much complete disarray. And that might be understating it a bit now that Jack Eichel might be out for a while. Uh, they have the Bruins tonight at home, and then it's three with the Devils uh, kind of in the same Thursday, Saturday, Sunday format that they had the Sabres. Devils are not in a good space. They did win a game against the Bruins the other day, but again, a team that's struggling. Um, and that doesn't matter. You know, you, you can kind of throw that out and say, maybe the Islanders aren't this good, but points are points, number one. And number two, these are the only teams you're playing. It's not like they're they're you know, not catching the Oilers when they're in the midst of a good streak or they don't have to play the Leafs or or Vegas at all this year. Like, this is the schedule that they made. They get every team in the division eight times. And the fact that they've had Buffalo five, and after this weekend, they'll have Jersey six when these teams are kind of free-falling a bit. Um, you know, nobody needs to apologize for it, but do you feel like the Islanders are set up the way that they're going now to be competitive with when the time, when the time comes to face the better teams? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you look at what everybody was talking about before the um, the season started and made, the North Division made some noise about being the toughest division. But by and large, everybody recognized the East Division was the toughest division when you really look top to bottom. And with the exception maybe of the Devils and the Sabres, the other six could at any, in any given predictions be in the top four, right? And you look at the West and the Central and it's not exactly – the same competition. Now, again, fans in different fan bases will disagree with me, but I do think that the East was really sort of a, a giant division. Um, and you make a good point. They've got the Sabres, they've got the Devils, and we've had long stretches against them. But, and you know, they did have their stretch against the Penguins and they had some troubles with them. But the Bruins, I, I, they have, they're 3-0 and against them at the Coliseum so far this year. And not only that, they're playing well. It's not like these fluky games and it's not like the Bruins – for those games haven't been playing well. I mean, right now, I think the Bruins are stuttering a little bit um, just based on a couple different things that are going on, some injuries they've had, um, you know, and, and it'll be interesting tonight's game, for example, Halak's back in net and he struggled in the third period the last time they played. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he comes up. But I think for the Islanders, you look at, you just said points or points. There's no question, right? Two points, put them in the bank. And if you stumble against the Sabres and you got a three-game series and you even lose one of those, then that might come back to bite you later. The fact that they were able to very securely take those three games without much of a question, that bodes really well. Then, of course, they've got a bunch of games coming up against the Devils. They'll need to do the same thing. But all of that is confidence, too, as now they got the Bruins and then they're going to get the Caps a bunch who are also playing really well. So, you know, I think for the Islanders, they are set up well. They're playing probably the best hockey they've played. They seem to be rounding into the form that we saw uh, in August up in the bubble, right, where they were really clicking. Their defensive zone is solid. They're playing Team D. They're, they've got those layers that Barry Trotz has set up. They're taking that time and space away. They're limiting shots. Now, again, granted, the Buffalo Sabres aren't a very good team, but they have good players, 
and they're limiting those good players to not taking very many shots. And that's been, I think, really key for the way that the Islanders are playing. And of course, they're getting scoring and they're getting depth scoring, which is important. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the, the way that they've matched up with the Bruins and and again, not no small factor considering the way the Islanders have been playing at the Coliseum. This is all four of these games have been at the Coliseum. So they got four left against them in Boston, which has pretty much been a house of horrors for the Islanders over the last, <laughs> I don't know, decade or so, like pretty much since I started covering them in the early 2010s. They didn't win a lot in Boston. Um so that's you know you have to you have to take that with a grain of salt. But um, you know when you look at this Bruins lineup, and you mentioned they're going through some things. Jake DeBrusque, who was one of their most dynamic players the last couple of years, is a healthy scratch tonight. Tuukka Rask, they left him back in Boston. It's Yarrow Halak's net. Uh, we all know about Yarrow's uh, pluses and minuses from his time on the island, and he doesn't love to play his former teams that much. So that's another factor. But when you look at the teams that are around them at the top of the division, Washington, Boston, Philly. And obviously, yes, Washington and Philly had a couple of good results against them when the Islanders were in their skid. But, um, you know, if you're even taking those games from a month ago when the Islanders were under 500, they had the, they had a tie game with the Caps in the final minute, which should have been at least a point and probably two. They were up 3 nothing after a period before they fell apart in the other game. Philly came back to tie both times, lost in overtime, coin flip essentially. Um, it's not like anybody's you know, throttling them. That's, that's near the top of this division. And I, and I think it's, it's another way that, that NHL watchers tend to underestimate the Islanders is that when they are playing the way that they played the majority of the three games against Buffalo, they can do that against anybody. Um, Maybe the results are a little bit better against a weaker team, but when the Islanders are on their game and rolling through, I think in the playoffs, Washington can say, and Philly can say like, yeah, when they're going well, it does like, they killed us five on five. So that that I think is the maybe the missing piece for the Islanders the last the first twenty games or so that's really seems to be there now. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the early games when they had a, their skid, if we can call it that, or whatever. But they were in in these games, right, losing in overtime or you know whatever it may be. I, they weren't playing very well, and they were still doing that. To your point. And, you know, somebody like Oliver Wallstrom wasn't in the lineup consistently and we hadn't really seen what he could do. And now he's gaining confidence and he's becoming a goal scorer and he's really helped their sort of solidify their power play, what we used to call their second unit. But I don't know, they're 1A, 1B units now. Um, you know, and I think that Sorokin was maybe a question mark at the very beginning based on his very first start in the NHL and all that went with that when that was at MSG against the Rangers. So the unexpected start. Um, so there were uh, so many question marks now. Granted, other teams had the same thing. At the beginning of the season, you're trying to iron out details, figure out where pieces fit and different injuries. Um, the Islanders, knock on wood, have been pretty fortunate in that sense, but they also have had some some other people come in and out of the lineup. You know, you look at Bellows had a chance to come in and Barry Trotz had made it his his himself known about his feelings on that. So there are there were some puzzle pieces that he was trying to settle down. And he really likes the way that they're playing. And, and somebody on the media call this morning was talking about what is a Barry Trotz team look like to him because we're coming up to his milestone. And he said that they, the first thing he said was the players play for each other. And I do think that's what they're doing now. I think at the beginning of the year, there was a lot of, it was a little discombobulated. Like, I, I don't know where I fit here, what I'm doing. And now suddenly everybody is, is bought into the system. They're playing for each other and they're doing their, they're playing their role. And so I think as they come in and they, you know, will face the Caps and Philly a little more moving forward, I like their chances. Obviously, it's going to be a grind every night and they got to bring their A game and they got to make sure that they're doing all these things consistently. But I just think they're really set up well right now and they're, they're, they're confident. 
Yeah, you mentioned Barry Trotz, and uh, people were asking questions of him about tonight's game, which is number 1,700 for him behind an NHL bench, which is third all-time behind Joel Quenville, still coaching also and having a lot of success in Florida this season, and Scotty Bowman, who may be a little too far off to think about catching right now. I think he's over 2,100. Um, But it's an impressive milestone. And Barry, I think he joked the other day, said, just means I'm old. He's really not that old. You know, he's he's still in his 50s. Uh, there's certainly guys out there that have coached deep into their 60s and 70s, so getting that all-time record isn't out of the question for him. And I and we've discussed it before that um, what's really unique about Barry from our perspective in the media is that he doesn't really – he's not a volatile guy when he's dealing with the media, as some coaches are. Um, and his the concepts that he tries to communicate to his players, which they talk about as him being able to communicate so effectively, he communicates to us and therefore to the fans very effectively what he wants to see and has a few little sayings that are easy to digest. Um, and in general, you know, I think he pointed out today from from game one with Nashville uh, almost 30 years ago uh, to now, he's he's mellowed out a bit. And I remember um, when he reached 800 wins. I talked to a lot of people that that were on those early Nashville teams, guys like Mike Dunham and Andrew Brunette, who played for him in the minors as well, and Tom Fitzgerald. Um, they all said that you know he, he was a little bit more emotional on the bench, but he's always been the same person. That uh, a guy who makes sure he knows you know your girlfriend or wife's name, your kids' names, uh, is really attuned to that side of things. And uh, and the guy that he reminds me of a little bit, it's definitely a different era, is Al Arbor, and a guy who could be tough when he needed to be because you have to be as a coach, especially in the NHL, but also someone who cared a lot. And that makes people want to stick around and makes people want to succeed for you. Well, you know, what's interesting is when we talk to him, oftentimes the press conferences and not as much now because it's on Zoom, but in pre-COVID times, they would go a little longer because he would ask you, uh, whether it's you or me or other people about what's going on. I remember one time I brought my son, he was on spring break. So I brought him down and he wasn't out in the locker room, uh, rightfully so. But he was sort of sitting up there and Barry took him aside, started talking to him. And he's a goalie and chatted with him for it really earnestly talked to him. So you're absolutely right. He he and he cares. He's not doing it for a reputation. He just cares about people and he loves hockey. He loves to talk hockey. Um, I You know, early on in this in our podcast this season, we talked about him, compared him to Ted Lasso. And I still stand by that because he comes up with these little things that are. The, that, you know, and I joked with him at one point, I said, you're sort of like my life coach, because he says things <laughs> that can be that can translate on the ice and into real life. And, and I just think that he cares about these players and he cares about the product on the ice. But at the end of the day, when he talks about the process, he knows it's a results driven league, but he really cares about the guys that are playing for him. And, and, you know, I think the locker room and the chemistry on the team is of utmost importance to him. And he knows that that's also going to get him the results that he wants. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, we're near our last segment of the show, and of course, we've got mail. You've got mail. A couple of good questions, a lot of questions, and I will say this off the top. Uh, 
a lot of questions related to the April 12th trade deadline. And so I'm going to give AJ a week to study up on trade possibilities <laughs> and trade targets and salary cap stuff because we're going to dive in next week and do a whole show devoted to the trade deadline, which could be a huge dud in the era of the pandemic and COVID and financial straits for every team. But I'm we'll going to tell you right now, that's not my strength. <laughs> I'm already calling in sick for next week's episode. <laughs> maybe there'll be kidding. a few. I'll study up. Maybe there'll be a few. Up. All right. So uh, <laughs> leaving aside a lot of the trade questions, and I'll probably just ask again on Twitter next week. But, um, you know, I, I think uh, one of the questions that I'm getting here, and it is slightly related to the trade deadline, is, uh, and we discussed this last week, how shocking it is. And in one more week of this, the Islanders still only use six defensemen. Um, they're still the only, they're going to be the only team to use six until it either gets to the end of the year or uh, something happens. We've mentioned that, you know, some teams, LA, Colorado, have used as many as 12 so far. Um, so uh, Pete has asked me, you know, is with no injuries, is Sebastian Ajo truly an option for an extended role? He's been on the roster the whole season. And if not him, who without a trade? Now, my question in spinning off of that, AJ, is when you're a person who's not playing and Sebastian Ajo has been on the Islanders roster and not played for a long time going back to last season, does do you think that the confidence – and it's a two-way street do, – does the coach have confidence in you to step in when you need to, or even when you don't need to, if you want to give somebody a rest? And do you, as someone who's practicing and skating with the team, do you, does your, you know, does Sebastian Ajo's confidence flag a bit not getting in there day after day after day? Uh, you know, I think that's a really, really good question. And it depends on the athlete, really. And to me, we don't know Sebastian Ajo and what he, will offer on the ice or even as a personality because we haven't seen him. I will say that I, clearly Barry Trotz likes his the group of six that he has, and they've done really well, uh, really well. And I love a lot of the, the sort of changes we've seen them go through. We've seen them gel a little bit, especially that Letty Mayfield pair that has struggled. They haven't ironed out all of it yet, but they look a little bit better and better with each, you know, as we go through this season. Uh, with that said, I probably would have played Ajo in one of in one of these back to backs against the Sabers. On the flip side of that, these are games they they're sort of must wins, right? These are points that are up for grabs. And to your points, two points are two points, as you said earlier. So you know you don't want to send the message to the team, oh, I don't care about this game, so I'm going to change the lineup up. But the further we get into the season without him changing those sixty, it becomes really uh, intense in terms of what the pressure looks like if one of these players goes down, even if it's just a tweak and they need to set out a game, suddenly Sebastian Ajo's in and it's his job as a professional to be ready and to figure out that mental side of it. And how do I stay confident? Physically, he's ready. Uh, it, he's got to be right. He's training with the team. That's what they do. But mentally, how does he find that confidence? Does he continually talk to the assistant coaches? Is he talking to the leaders on the team? Is he talking to the defensemen? Hopefully he's doing all that stuff and doing what he needs to do to stay prepared. But it is a, it is a, it's a really tough one because if you're not playing and the coach is not giving you a tap on the shoulder to get into the lineup, how do you, how do you find that confidence? Um, I, I, I do think, you know, we're going to talk trade deadline. I, I wonder whether Lou will be looking for a depth D going into hopefully a playoff run because you can't do this with just 60 in my opinion. I think that you look at in COVID and everything, but just injuries that they've had over the last couple of years, they're going to need somebody that Barry Trotz 
truly trusts. Yeah, it's I mean, we talked about it last week. It is still remarkable that that they're they've been able to be successful with it, um, number one. And number two, that they're just kind of, you know, they're they're hitting on seven on 16 here every single time. It feels like with this, you're just you're 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 riding a hot streak and those hot streaks are kind of designed to end at some point. So um, who are we to question it? But if it does happen, I guess we can all say, Oh my God, we told them so that this was going to happen. What's, what are they you know, now? What are you going to do? But um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to see about that. Um, uh, Yona has a good one. And uh, this is a very optimistic question. You know, what will the disparity in travel between the divisions do we feel it'll play a role when they get to that final four and they're sorting out where they're playing? And I was thinking about this the other day. If the Islanders make it out and make it to the playoffs, let's start with the basics, and then they make it out of their division and they're one of these four semifinalists that get seeded essentially. Let's say they play the Leafs. The Leafs are the top team in terms of points. They get out of the Canadian division. What that series is going to look like given the way the world is looking, the way the difference in vaccine rollout between the states and Canada. Canada has, there's no fans in any buildings there. Islanders are going to start to have fans uh, within a week. Um, you know, the possibility exists that the Islanders could be hosting the Leafs at the Coliseum for an entire best of seven, uh, which is boggles my mind that that could be a possibility that, but it's probably something that, that could realistically happen. Now, Yona's question is more about the Canadian division, they've been flying back and forth to play teams on the West Coast, teams in the East, in, in the Eastern time zone, and the Islanders basically, a, you know, a 45-minute flight is about as long as they're going to spend in the air, leaving aside the fact that they, you know, you spend weeks on the road, you know, a solid week on the road, which sounds like it's not the easiest thing to do for the guys. Um, does Do you think that that's going to take a toll on that Canadian division team, especially if it's, say, Toronto gets out of that division, but they had to play Edmonton and Winnipeg? in best of sevens before they get there? Well, so it is an interesting question because you add the, the travel into this and Barry Trotz has said in mostly he's talk, does it when he's, um, he mentions this when he's talking about his goaltenders and their rotation is that even if there's a back-to-back, there's very little travel involved, which is a lot easier on these guys. It's not the actual playing of the games that can be mentally and physically trying. It's the it's the travel in between and getting home late and staying in different hotel rooms and all these different things that go into the life of a professional hockey player. Um, also, so also the life of a professional beat writer <laughs> or a professional <laughs> broadcaster. Let's make sure we Correct. put that out there too. Correct. That is true. And some of us don't get the, you know, private charters either. So maybe a little bit tougher. Um, but the, you know, if you're looking at um, the way that the Canadian division, they have to do that, but it's a little more normal for them too, in some ways, right? Because they're traveling like they always did, obviously not across the border. Um, and, and maybe the question is a little bit, if they go through the first two rounds and they're getting beat up by Edmonton and Calgary and physical teams, um, and they're trying to get through that, you look at the Islanders, if they get to that round, look at who they probably have to go through, right? I mean, they've got to go through whether it's Bruins, Capitals, Philly, Penguins, you know, any of those people, those those uh, matchups are physical beatings, no matter what. Now they won't have the uh, they won't have the travel to have also worn them down. So you know I don't I don't know what that's going to look like, and that's sort of what what's such so interesting about this COVID season is there are so many unknowns about it. And yeah, if the Leafs or somebody in Canada comes down and 
you know, stays stays here at the Marriott Hotel, which I've gotten to know so well for, <laughs> you know, however long a series would last, that does change things, right? And the Islanders fans get to be in the building and they get to see this live. That's pretty amazing to think that that might happen. How does it affect them? I don't know. And if it, you're talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs right now in March versus in May or June, I mean, the Leafs right now are flying. I mean, they are unreal. Can they sustain that? Who knows? I mean, that's that's always the question mark. So I, I don't have an answer for that question. It's a good one. And really, seven games, Islanders, Leafs, John Tavares having to play at the Coliseum possibly seven <laughs> times in front of, say, 10,000 fans. Like, I, 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 is there money I could put in a fund somewhere to make sure that that happens? Because I would... That would really be about as entertaining as possible. Um, I agree. <laughs> I'll throw one last curveball that has not, not that much to do with the Islanders, but it's a guy the Islanders have a history with and have seen a lot and really, really he might be the most hated guy for Islanders fans in the league right now. What do you think of the Tom Wilson hit and the Tom Wilson suspension? Uh, uh, you know, I thought it was a bad hit. I did. I mean, I, you know, and I, I talked to a ton of people who have – seen it both ways. Um, to me, he hit his head. He, he, and the, the way the, I know he was suspended for boarding. Um, but to me it was the, the, I think it's rule 43, 48. I'm not totally sure of the number, but the head contact where is the head, not the initial point of contact, the way the rule says, is it the principal point of contact? And to me it was now our Brandon, uh, get Carlo is, um, six foot six, right? So if yeah. his head's down there, then he's obviously looking down, looking for the puck. So he's in a vulnerable position. There's no question, but Tom Wilson knew what he was doing. He was obviously agitated from the Trent Frederick stuff earlier in the game. He, if you're Tom Wilson, you can't do that stuff. You obviously have a target on your back with, with the league and the and uh, Department of Player Safety. So I was a little surprised how long the suspension was based on the fact that it's a shorter season. I don't know if they took that into account, 56 games instead of 82. Uh, but at the same time, and I think if it had been somebody other than Tom Wilson, I'm not sure it would have been as long or anything um but you know he's he's a gritty player you talk to Barry Trotz he loves the guy he says he's yeah. he's greatest guy ever but when you when you're doing that sort of stuff I just I don't know I mean to me it was it did look predatory he knew what he was doing he's good enough he's got enough skill he's a good enough skater that he should be in control in that situation what do you think of it I mean you know I make a lot of cracks on Twitter about it I just find that uh, there's a couple things and this is probably the reason I wanted to bring it up um, he is, he is a beloved team. Like, you know, I've had, whether it's with Barry Trotz, Josh Hosang trains with him in the summer and says he's one of his all time favorite people. His teammates clearly love him. Even as a media member, I've had to talk, I've gone in to talk to him a couple of times. Great, great talker. He's a thoughtful guy. And I'm sure that that plays a role, but to me, he, you know, he is what he is. And I think that hit, you couple it with the hit on Mark Jankowski, who's still out of the lineup for the Penguins, which was about a second and a half late. Uh, when Washington played Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago, um, you're right. He knows what he's doing. That's the part that that is, I think, the most upsetting is that we're in an era now in the NHL where guys like that, you think back to Matt Cook or Rafi Torres, guys who were out to, to hurt people with their hits, whether they were completely against the rules or not, that's the intention. And this is Tom Wilson is trying to hurt somebody. You know you're against the wall there. You know that you're you're pushing up with your body you know how big and fast you are like you're he's trying to hurt Brandon Carlo there and um i think given his history he shouldn't be doing that and also what's frustrating to me is to hear 
Peter Laviolette, a coach who I have a ton of respect for. Um, Alex Ovechkin, a player who hits a lot and has, I also have a ton of respect for, immediately jumped to this guy's defense. And that to me is like, well, I don't know if this is ever going to change. If there's going to be another guy like Tom Wilson who comes along, uh, if his teammates and his coach instantly defend him for no matter what he does, instead of saying, this guy's got to cool it or we're going to have a real problem here. Um, that to me is just, it's a lack of respect for your, the rest of the guys in the league. And when we talk about players trying to keep each other from getting their brains knocked out, like you'd probably not want to do that. So I sort of feel, you know, I, I get a lot of feelings about that stuff. Um, and my general takeaway is if the players are, on his team are okay with him concussing somebody, then maybe I shouldn't care about it as much as I do. Well, and I think that there's a there's also a way that those that Lavia and, um, and Ovechkin could have gone about that, in in my opinion, because I agree with you. It's it, it, Clearly, he's a big locker room guy, and I mentioned what Trot says about him, right? He's maybe a different player off the ice than what we see on the ice, uh, and a lot of people are. A lot of guys are, and he's got that grit and that sandpaper, and under Trotz, he moved from that just sort of physical fourth-line player to a really skilled first-line player that still has that grit and that physical play. But I think for Lavi and Ovechkin to, to come out and say, you know what, it, it was were it was a dangerous hit in, but it wasn't intentional. That would be different. Whether it was or wasn't, they could have said, you know, we are sorry to see this. It did look like he clipped him in the head, but it wasn't intentional. You know, and it, it, at least admit that it was a bad hit because right. it was right. And you know, you could talk. I, I saw one still shot on Twitter that somebody took, and it's like, oh, it looks like his it's shoulder to chest. I'm like not if you watch that roll, even and you watch it in slow motion. And I know the refs on the ice don't have the video in the slow motion, but the you know war room does, and they piece. I'm sure they look at every possible angle. And if the head is the primary, the principal point of contact, then and again they didn't rule head contact because I think that would have come with a bigger uh, sort of weighted the suspension. They went with boarding, which also makes sense in a lot of ways. Although boarding typically I think is more of like a from behind is what, how we've seen it. Right. And he was coming up and looking at it. But I think by, by saying boarding, they could do a seven game suspension as opposed to far more if it's head contact. Yeah. Well, Islander fans dating back to uh, Wilson on Luba Vishnovsky in the 2015 playoffs uh, have never really had much affinity for Tom Wilson. So I think he's going to miss at least a couple of the games that they're playing against him in the in at least next week or at least one next week. So we'll see where it goes. But uh, I imagine that seeing these same teams as many times as they do breeds a little bit more uh, adrenaline and enthusiasm for that side of things than, uh, than it might otherwise. So, well, a uh, little bit off topic, but I think Islander fans always love to talk some Tom Wilson, especially when he's been suspended. Uh Thank you, AJ. This has been great, as always. As always, fun to join you. Looking forward to a fun fun game tonight. That's right. Islanders-Bruins tonight, and then a bunch with the Devils, and we'll be back next week with some trade deadline talk. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And if you want to subscribe to The Athletic for $3.99 a month, you can go to theathletic.com slash no sleep till Belmont. We'll see you again next week. Thanks. Thanks.